Chapter 19 of The Silent House This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlech of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. The Silent House by Fergus Hume. Chapter 19 the defense of count ferruci it is quite impossible cried mrs vrain distractedly i can't believe it nohow the little woman was back again in her own drawing-room talking to lucian about the discovery which had lately been made regarding ferruci's purchase of the cloak mrs vrain having proved her own innocence by the evidence of the Pigall family was now trying to persuade both herself and Denzel that the Count could not be possibly implicated in the matter. He had no motive to kill Vrain, she said, a statement with which Lucian at once disagreed. I beg your pardon, Mrs. Vrain, he had two motives, said the barrister quickly. In the first place, he was in love and wished to marry you. In the second, he was poor and wanted money. By the death of your husband he hoped to gain both. He has gained neither as yet, replied Lydia sharply. I like Hercule well enough, and at one time I was almost engaged to him. But he has a nasty temper of his own, Mr. Denzel, so I shunted him pretty smart to marry Mark Vrain. I wouldn't marry him now if he dumped down a million dollars at my feet tomorrow. Besides, Papa don't like him at all. I've got my money, and I've got my freedom, and I don't fool away either the one or the other on that Italian dude. Is the Count acquainted with these sentiments? asked Lucian dryly. I guess so, Mr. Denzel. He asked me to marry him two months after Mark's death, and I just up and told him pretty plain how the cat jumped. In plain English, you refused him. You bet I did, cried Lydia vigorously. So you see, Mr. Denzel, he could not have killed Mark. Why not? He did not know your true mind until two months after the murder. That's a fact, anyhow, commented Mrs. Vrain. But what mischief made him buy that rabbit-skin coat? I expect he bought it for the woman I mistook for you. And who may she be? That is just what I wish to find out. This woman who came to Jersey Street so often wore this cloak. Therefore, she must have obtained it from the Count. I'll make him tell me who she is and what she has to do with this crime. Do you think she has anything to do with it? said Mrs. Vrain doubtfully. I am certain. It must have been her shadow I saw on the blind. "'And the man's shadow was the Count's?' questioned Lydia. "'I think so. He bought the cloak for the woman, visited the man rent at Jersey Street, and was seen by the servant in the backyard. He did not act thus without some object, Mrs. Vrain. You may be sure of that.' "'Sakes,' said Lydia, with a weary sigh, "'I ain't sure of anything save that my head is buzzing like a sawmill. Who is rent anyhow?' I don't know, 
an old man with a white beard and a skull cap of black velvet. Ugh, said Mrs. Vrain, with a shiver. Mark used to wear a black skull cap, and the thought of it makes me freeze up. Sounds like a judge of your courts ordering a man to be lynched. Well, Mr. Denzel, it seems to me as you'd best hustle Hercule. If he knows who the woman is, and he wouldn't buy cloaks for her if he didn't, he'll know who this rent is. I guess he can supply all the information. Where does he live? Number 40 Marquis Street, St. James. You go and look him up while I tell Papa what a mean white he is. I guess Papa won't let him come near me again. Pop's an honest man, though he ain't no Washington. Suppose I find out that he killed your husband, asked Lucian, rising. Then you'd best lynch him right away, replied Lydia, without hesitation. I draw the line at murder, some. The barrister was somewhat disgusted to hear Mrs. Vrain so coolly devote her Wilhelm admirer to a shameful death. However, he knew that her heart was hard and her nature selfish, so there was little use in showing any outward displeasure at her want of charity. She had cleared herself from suspicion and evidently cared not who suffered, so long as she was safe and well spoken of. Moreover, Lucian had learned all he wished about her movements on the night of the crime, and taking a hasty leave, he went off to Marquis Street for the purpose of bringing Ferruci to book for his share in the terrible business. However, the Count proved to be from home, and would not be back, so the servant said, until late that night. Denzel therefore left a message that he would call at noon the next day, and drove from St. James to Kensington, where he visited Diana. Here he detailed what he had learned and done from the time he had visited Mrs. Bensusan up to the interview with Lydia. Also he displayed the cloak and narrated how Mrs. Vrain had cleared herself of its purchase. To all this Diana listened with the greatest interest, and when Lucian ended, she looked at him for some moments in silence. In fact, Diana, with all her wit and common sense, did not know how to regard the present position of affairs. "'Well, Miss Frayne said Lucian, seeing that she did not speak, "'what do you think of it all?' "'Mrs. Vrain appears to be innocent,' said Diana in a low voice. "'Assuredly she is.' The evidence of the Pigall family, given in all innocence, proves that she could not have been in Geneva Square or in Jersey Street on Christmas Eve. Then we come back to my original belief, Mr. Denzel. Lydia did not commit the crime herself, but employed Ferruci to do so. No, replied Denzel decidedly. Whether the Italian is guilty or not, Mrs. Vrain knows nothing about it. If she were cognizant of his guilt, she would not have risked going with me to Baxter and Company, and letting me discover that Ferruci had bought the cloak. Nor would she so lightly surrender a possible accomplice as she has done Ferruci. Whatever can be said of Mrs. Vrain's conduct, and I admit that it is far from perfect. 
yet I must say that she appears by the strongest evidence to be totally innocent and ignorant. She knows no more about the matter than her father does. Well, said Diana, unwilling to grant her stepmother too much grace, we must give her the benefit of the doubt. What about Ferruci? So far as I can see, Ferruci is guilty, replied Lucian. To clear himself, he will have to give the same proof as Mrs. Vrain. Firstly, he will have to show that he was not in Jersey Street on Christmas Eve. Secondly, he will have to prove that he did not buy the cloak. But in the face of the servant's evidence and the statement of the shopwoman, he will find it difficult to clear himself. Yet, added Lucian, remembering his failure with Lydia, it is always possible that he may do so. It seems to me, Mr. Denzel, that your only chance of getting at the truth is to see the Italian. I think so myself. I will see him tomorrow. Will you take Mr. Link with you? No, Miss Frayne, as I have found out so much without Link, I may as well proceed in the matter until his professional services are required to arrest Count Ferrucci. By the way, I have never seen that gentleman. Can you describe his appearance to me? Oh, as far as looks go, there is no fault to be found with him, answered Diana. He is a typical Italian, tall, slender, and olive-complexioned. He speaks English very well, indeed, and appears to be possessed of considerable education. Certainly, to look at him and to speak with him, you will not think he was a villain likely to murder a defenseless old man. But if he did not kill my poor father, I know not who did. I'll call on him tomorrow at noon, said Lucian, and later on I shall come here to tell you what has passed between us. This remark brought the business between them to a close, but Lucian would fain have lingered to engage Diana in lighter conversation. Miss Vrain, however, was too much disturbed by the news he had brought her to indulge in frivolous talk. Her mind, busied with the recollections of her deceased father, and anxiously seeking some means whereby to avenge his death, was ill-attuned to encourage at the moment the aspirations which he knew Lucian entertained. The barrister therefore sighed and hinted in vain. His Dulcinea would have none of him or his courting, and he was compelled to retire, as disconsolate a lover as could be seen. To slightly alter the saying of Shakespeare, the course of true love never does run smooth. But there were surely an unusual number of obstacles in the current of Denzel's desires. But as he consoled himself with reflecting that the greater the prize, the harder it is to win, so it behooved him to do his devoir like a true knight. The next day, at noon, Lucian, armed for the encounter with the evidence of Rhoda and of the cloak, presented himself at the rooms which Count Ferrucci temporarily inhabited in Marquis Street. He not only found the Italian ready to receive him, but in full possession of the adventure of the cloak, which, as he admitted, he had learned from Lydia the previous evening. 
Also, Count Ferruci was extremely indignant and informed Lucian that he was easily able to clear himself of the suspicion. While he raged on in his fiery Italian way, Denzel, who saw no chance of staying the torrent of words, examined him at his leisure. Hercule Ferruci was, as Diana had said, a singularly handsome man of thirty-five. He was dark, slender, and tall, with dark, flashing eyes and a heavy black mustache, and an alert military look about him which showed that he had served in the army. The above description savors a trifle of the impossible hero of a young lady's dream, and, as a matter of fact, Ferrucci was not unlike that ideal personage. He had all the looks and graces which women admire, and seemed honest and fiery enough in a manly way. The last person, as Lucian thought, to gain his aims by underhand ways, or to kill a helpless old man. But Lucian, legally experienced in human frailty, was not to be put off with voluble conversation and outward graces. He wished for proofs of innocence, and these he tried to obtain as soon as Ferruci drew breath in his fiery harangue. "'If you are innocent, Count,' said Lucian, in reply to the fluent, incorrect English of the Italian, "'appearances are against you. However, you can prove yourself innocent, if you will.' "'Sir,' cried Ferruci, "'is not my word good?' "'Not good enough for an English court,' replied Lucian coldly. "'You say you were not in Jersey Street on Christmas Eve? "'Who can prove that?' "'My friend, my dear friend, Dr. Joris of Hampstead, sir. "'I was with him. "'Oh, yes, sir, he will tell you so.' "'Very good. "'I hope his evidence will clear you,' replied the more phlegmatic Englishman. "'And this cloak?' I never bought the cloak. I saw it not before. Then come with me to the shop in Bayswater and hear what the girl who sold it says. I will come at once, cried Ferruci hastily, catching up his cane and hat. Come then, my friend, come. What does the woman say? That she sold the cloak to a tall man, to a dark man with a mustache, and one who told her he was Italian. Bah, retorted the Count, as they hailed a hansom. Is all that she can say? Why, all we Italians are supposed to be tall and dark and wear mustaches. Your common people in England never fancied one of us can be fair. You are not fair, replied Lucian dryly, and your looks correspond to the description. True, oh, yes, sir but that description might describe a dozen of my countrymen. And, Mr. Denzel, added the Count, laughing, I do not go round about saying to common people that I am an Italian. It's not my custom to explain. Lucian shrugged his shoulders and said no more until they entered the shop in Bayswater. As he knew from the previous visit where the saleswoman was located, he led the Count rapidly to the place. The girl was there, as brisk and businesslike as ever. She looked up as they approached, 
and came forward to serve them with a swift glance at both i'm sorry to trouble you again said lucian ceremoniously but you told me yesterday that you sold a blue cloak lined with rabbit skin to an italian gentleman and am i the gentleman interrupted ferruci did i buy a cloak no replied the shopwoman after a sharp glance this is not the gentleman who bought the cloak end of chapter nineteen